0: The 19th century preacher, Hugh Martin, once said, The church flickers in her divine life and becomes shallow in her divine knowledge when she thinks she has ascertained all that is implied in the death of Christ. By the grace of God, may this never be us. By His grace, may we ever return again and again and again to study the death of Christ. May we always seek new depths, new insights, new lessons, so that we can learn and grow in glorifying Jesus Christ. So this evening, I want us to look at the death of Jesus Christ by studying the seventh and last saying of our Lord on the cross. This is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. In this text, i have two headings. One, Christ's faith. And two, Christ's faith on the cross. So first of all, Christ's faith. This text is revealing to us that Jesus Christ had faith in God. It reveals it because at the time of death, Jesus Christ trusted his Father to take care of his soul. And this trusting the Father to take care of his soul was an act of faith. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 uses the same language of entrusting his soul unto God and he says explicitly this comes from faith. I know whom I have believed faith and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Committed is the same word that Christ used here for commend. So Paul was saying, I am a man of faith. And because I'm a man of faith, I commit, commend my soul to God. And so Jesus Christ on the cross, as he uses these words... He is revealing through the Scriptures, he is a man of faith. And the Scriptures elsewhere teach us that Jesus was someone who had faith and trust in God. Two texts, there's two witnesses to demonstrate this. First of all, the Old Testament. Psalm 22, verse 9. We know the psalm. Christ quotes it on the cross, and it's quoted by the gospel writers as being fulfilled in him. And it says in verse 9 and 10, Jesus speaking here, Thou art he that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope. Now, it's not the word hope in the Hebrew. It's the word for trust and faith. Thou didst make me trust, faith. When I was upon my mother's breasts, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now, a mystery here. How could Jesus, even as an infant, trust in God? Because we recognize that infants lack consciousness in the sense of Full, rational understanding and perception of knowledge and responding to knowledge. When they grow up, they most certainly have these things. But as an infant, it is a mystery. But that's what the psalm is saying. Mysteriously and wonderfully, a young child, Jesus, trusted in God and by faith says, My God, my God. And this shows us that very little children can have faith in God. And that's wonderful. And that's what we desire. And we can never say that a two-year-old or three-year-old cannot have faith in God. Yes, they may, because Christ did as well. And it's our hope and prayer that our children never know a time except for they have Turn to the Lord, trusted in the Lord, and have faith in Jesus Christ. But the second text, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. And we read it from the context where the writer is showing how Jesus, who is him by whom all things are, was made a little lower than the angels as a true man for the suffering of death, to taste death for every man. And then he quotes the Old Testament saying, this is Jesus. He quotes Isaiah chapter 8 verse 17 and says this is Jesus I will put my trust in him. So Jesus as a man says about God I put my trust in him. And therefore Luke 23:46 and these other texts reveal and prove Jesus was a man of faith. He trusted in God. Now this is something we don't often emphasize as Christians. But to help us understand theologically, I want to ask three questions. One, what is faith? Two, how can Jesus have faith? Three, Why is it important that Jesus has faith? So first of all, what is faith? The essence of faith is trust and confidence. We often say that faith has three key components and you need all three for true faith. The first is knowledge. People out there say that faith is blind where you... You ignore knowledge, you ignore reason, you ignore evidence, you ignore arguments. Faith is just blind. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Faith is built on knowledge, truth, evidence, understanding. But the second part of faith is that you assent to that knowledge. That is, you agree, you affirm its truth. But that's not enough for faith. The three, the third part of faith, which is essential, is trust. A classic illustration for faith as trust is given by the 19th century tightrope walker Charles Blondin. He was the first man to cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. When he did it in the midst of the 19th century, there was a crowd of over 100,000 watching him. And amazingly, he did it. He went from one end of the falls to the other on a tightrope. And as he finished, it's recorded that the crowd were amazed and applauded, as you can imagine they would do. Then he said to a man in the crowd, Do you believe that I could put a man in a wheelbarrow, And take that man across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And their man responded, yes, I believe you could do that. Then Blondin replied, would you be that man? Come in the wheelbarrow and we can do it. And the man said no. The man assented that Blondin could do it, but he didn't have true faith. Because he didn't trust Blondin to do it. He didn't put his confidence in it to do it. And that's what true faith is. You don't only know about God. You don't merely agree and assent to the truth of God. But thirdly, you put your confidence and your trust in God. And the same for Jesus Christ when we're believing in him. We don't just simply have knowledge of God, uh, Jesus through the Bible. It's not simply we agree, orthodox confession of who he is, but we trust in him. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's everything we trust in him. And that's faith. God is unseen. And the person says, I trust I am confident in God. Hebrews 11, 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so Jesus Christ put his trust in the unseen God. And whatever God says and whatever God promises, though it's unseen... His confidence and trust is in his God and in God's word. And that's our faith, brother and sister. Our faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence not seen. Can any of us see God? We don't deny that there's evidence of God in creation. Romans 1, yes there is. We don't deny that his special revelation is given us perfectly, infallibly in the word of God. But we can't see God. Why is it we believe and others who see the same evidence deny? Faith. Spirit wrought by grace. Faith. Because faith trusts the unseen God and his words. Secondly, how can Jesus have faith? If you read the medieval theologians like Thomas Aquinas, Peter Lombard, they have influenced the Roman Catholic Church to such an extent as a church, they deny Jesus ever had faith. Aquinas, Lombard, and the Roman Catholic Church teach it is insulting that Jesus would have faith in an unseen God. That's what they say insulting. If Jesus is God, how can he have trust in an unseen God? And therefore, they say he did not walk by faith, he did not have faith. And it is insulting to him to say so. And then you can say, what about the acts of faith in his life? Prayer. Prayer is someone who believes in the unseen God and communicates with the unseen God. They say he never really prayed. They say he only appeared to pray and he only appeared to pray so that he would leave you with a mere example. Not much of an example if he's not really praying, is it? What about the passages that say that Jesus grew? Well, they say that Jesus, in his incarnation, from his very infancy, had the blessed vision already. He possessed all knowledge in his humanity from his conception. And therefore... When it says Jesus grew in wisdom or grew in spirit, he didn't really do that. It only looked like it was because other people around him saw him. But he knew all things from the beginning. Now, how do you respond? Well, Jesus Christ had faith because he is a true man. And as a true man, he has a soul A soul is the rational and spiritual being of man. And a soul has a mind to think, to know, to understand. It has a heart to trust in and follow and obey. And the will is the desire, the inclination, the volition to trust and obey. And it is natural for a man to have an object to trust in, love in, hope in, and follow. And Jesus Christ is not merely a true man, but he is specifically a true man in humiliation. Philippians 2. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant or a slave, And was made in the likeness of men. He is not a man exalted. He's a man under humiliation. And his soul must be a true soul that trusts in God. Even trust in an unseen God. Christ did not have all knowledge of all things because the Bible reveals there are things he did not know. In Mark 12, what did we see about the fig tree? He believed because the fig tree had leaves, that's the ordinary sign that a fig tree bears figs. He came, he expected there were no figs. Or in Mark 13, as we'll get to soon, Of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, not even the Son of Man. And when Luke chapter 2 says that he grew in wisdom, grew in spirit, he actually did grow. He grew in his capacity to know, he grew in the very content of his knowledge, and he grew and the skill of how to apply knowledge, wisdom. And when he prayed, he did not have sight of God, but he trusted in the unseen God and expressed that with genuine prayer. And so this, and these rather, are the reasons why Jesus Christ can have faith in the unseen God. Thirdly, why is it important he has faith? Briefly, four reasons. First of all, he is a true substitute. Hebrews two seventeen. Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And as he is tempted like we are, he is able to succor, aid, strengthen us. A man must save a man. He came not in the nature of angels, He came not in the name of a glorified being. He came as a true man, flesh and blood, under humiliation, exercising faith in an unseen God. Because he could not be a high priest to atone for us if he was not, and he would not be able to aid us in our temptations. What sort of person can you take encouragement from? They never lacked sight in God. How's that encouragement for us? How can that help us fight temptation when we are not aware by sight the true God and the full knowledge of God? How does that help us in our temptations? Because it doesn't help me. My issue is God is unseen and in temptation it's hard and difficult and we struggle and we battle and I have a saviour who experienced the same. Who had an unseen God, temptation surrounding him, and his faith in God was a means by which he fought off these temptations. So it's important to have a true substitute, someone who has faith. Second reason the law of God. What's your problem? What's my problem? Sin is the transgression of the law. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And how do we keep this commandment? The larger catechism 104 expounding it says, believing him, trusting him, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, yielding all obedience and submission to him from the whole man. And here's our problem. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us has perfectly kept the first commandment. None of us have sinlessly, perfectly believed in him, trusted in him, hoped in him, Loved him. And therefore, if this is our problem, we need a remedy. We need someone who sinlessly and perfectly, thou shalt have no other God before me, believing him, trusting him, hoping in him. And that's Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, 4, made of a woman, made under The law. To keep the whole law, including the first commandment. To believe on God perfectly. Third reason why we need him. Justification. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Notice the difference of language between faith in Christ, faith of Christ. Christ. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Faith of Christ is Jesus Christ's faith. Faith in Christ is us having faith in the object, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ's faith was sinless and perfect, keeping that law for righteousness, and that whole righteousness is the ground of our justification, imputed to our accounts, and received by the instrumentality, faith in Jesus Christ. And so for us to be justified, we need a perfect faith which accomplishes perfect righteousness. Fourth and final reason why we need Jesus Christ to have faith. How can we grow in faith if all our examples are faith mixed with sin? You can learn a lot from Abel and Abraham and Noah, and Enoch, and Sarah, and Mary of Bethany, and Mary Magdalene, and Hannah, and all the other cloud of witnesses. We can learn a lot from them. But it's not a perfect example, it's a very imperfect example. And a lot of their faith, like Jacob, and Abraham, and David, and Noah, as we know from their lives, is mixed with sin. We need a perfect example in Jesus Christ as that. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, in the Greek, it doesn't mean Jesus is the one who gives us faith and perseveres our faith. Theologically true. Faith is a gift of God, Ephesians 2. The grace of perseverance comes from Christ. Theologically true. But that's not what the verse says. The Greek word for author is pioneer, captain. It's the same word as captain of our salvation. It is someone who goes first and shows you how to do it. Finisher is the word perfecter. The perfect example. And so the Hebrew, the Greek there is saying, look to Jesus, the pioneer who shows you what faith is, and the perfecter, the one who gives you the perfect example of faith. So that as you look to him, you learn what true faith is. And therefore you can imitate him and you can grow in your faith. That's what Hebrews twelve two is teaching. And if Jesus Christ did not have faith, then we would have no perfect example. But praise be to God, he is the man of faith and we can learn from him. But secondly, I want to look at Christ's faith on the cross. And by meditating on his faith on the cross from Luke 23, 46... We can see, one, how we're saved by a perfect faith, and two, how we can learn and grow in our faith. And I want to look at four aspects of Christ's faith on the cross. First of all, Christ's faith in the Word of God. When Christ is exercising his trust in God... He uses the Bible to express that faith. The words here, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, is a direct quote from Psalm 31, verse 5, where the psalmist, in the midst of troubles, is putting his trust in God and saying, God, I trust you to take care of me. And so Jesus uses God's words to express his faith. And if you know the life of Christ, you know he was saturated, saturated by the Word of God. When the devil came to him in the wilderness, and the devil wanted him to trust in bread to trust in food and turn the stones into bread, what did he say? Quoting in Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but the word of God that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I look to the unseen God and trust in him and his word is what I trust in. And that's our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. You remember when he was young. When his mother and Joseph discovered he's missing. He's still in Jerusalem. He's still at the temple hearing the word of God. As the men are hearing or teaching the word of God. And there's Q&A, there's catechism style, if you like, or fellowship discussions regarding the Word of God. And his mother comes to him and says, I was so worried about you. He says, Mother, do you not know I must be about my father's business? I must learn from him, grow in him, and know him. And I'm doing that through the Word of God. And in his whole life, you read the Gospels, He's meditated, memorized, studied his Bible. And through his life, he looks to God's word and God's promises and exercises faith every step of the way. Same on the cross. He quotes the Bible. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Psalm 31, 5. His faith is in the word of God. And the same with us. Where does our faith come from? Romans 10. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Brother and sister in Christ, how does your faith grow? The word of God. 1 Peter 2, 2, we know the verse. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow by. Too many in the visible evangelical church today want to move beyond the word of God. We want special revelations. We want the Holy Spirit to give us special feelings and promptings. And that's when you know you're in a dangerous step. Christ never moved away from the Bible. Even though he had special revelation by the Holy Spirit, you read the Bible, his foundation was always the Word of God. And if we are going to be Christians, if we are going to grow in faith, it must be by the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon says, If the Spirit of God be in you, he will make you love the Word of God. And if any of you imagine that the Spirit of God will lead you to dispense with the Bible, you are under the influence of another Spirit, which is not the Spirit of God at all. How do you know the devil's tempting you? Taking you away from the Word of God. How do you know the devil's in the church? He's trying to take the church and take their ideas, their foundation, their knowledge away from The word of God. For the last hundred years, churches which were solid as a rock have been smashed to smithereens because they started to build their church on sand. Liberalism. Social justice like we have today. Critical theory of every stripe. Where the Bible is no longer authoritative and sufficient. And we go elsewhere. Let us as individual Christians grow in our faith by growing in the Word of God. Let us as a church believe in the authoritative and sufficient Bible and never ever moving from this foundation. But I'm thankful to be in a congregation where you do believe in the Word of God and you are growing in your faith as you grow. In God's word. So take Jesus Christ as your example and encouragement to a faith in God's word. And grow in your faith through God's word. Secondly, Christ's faith and prayer. Faith in an unseen God will always produce prayer with an unseen God. Prayer is nothing but the breathing of the soul, the expression of true faith. Because you might not see God, but you believe. Psalm 116 verse 1, I love the Lord God because my voice and prayers he did hear, while at length I called on him who bowed to me his ear. That's what prayer does. And that's what Christ does. He prays to God the Father, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And Christ's life was full of prayer. What was he doing when he was baptized? Praying. What was he doing in the wilderness? Praying. When people were knocking at his door, trying to be healed in Mark 1, and he was absent, where was he? On a mountain praying. The night before he called the twelve, what was he doing? Praying. When he was on a mountain before the transfiguration, what was he doing? Praying. After the upper room, what did he do? He prayed. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, what was he doing? Praying. And what was he doing on the cross? Praying. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was praying as an expression of faith. And we can learn three things about prayer through Jesus Christ's faith. First of all, the object of prayer. Father. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus Christ says his father is your father. You remember his words in John 20 when he's ascending and Mary Magdalene comes, he says, Let go, for I ascend unto my Father and your Father. Your Father was the devil because you were born in sin. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning and we're all by nature liars and murderers from the beginning. But I have come and I have redeemed you. I have died for you. And it was not your will, It wasn't your flesh, but by my grace I gave you the gift of adoption. And now God is your Father. And Jesus teaches us to pray, does he not? In the Lord's Prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. Pray like this, our Father. A.W. Pink, how blessed it is that his Father is our Father. Ours because his. How wonderful that is. How unspeakably precious that I can look to the great and living God and say, Father, my Father. What comfort is contained in this title. What assurance it conveys. God is my Father. He loves me. He loves me. He loves Christ himself. And he loves me as Christ. John seventeen twenty-three. God is my Father and loves me. Then he cares for me. God is my Father and cares for me. Then he will work all things together for my good. Oh, that his children entered more deeply and practically into the blessedness of this relationship. Then would they joyfully exclaim with the Apostle, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Learn to increase your faith. By praying and knowing and experiencing your Father in prayer. The second thing we learn is, in the midst of suffering, Christ prays. This is not having a wonderful, easy time. He's suffering on the cross. He's in the midst of mockery and revilings and hatings and enemies. And he expresses his faith with prayer to God. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 23, When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When we suffer, when we're threatened, when we're troubled, when we're persecuted, when we're hated, when we're mocked, And when we're reviled, what do we do? We do what Christ did. We exercise faith by praying to God and committing all things to Him who judges righteously. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's merciful. He will help you. When you're anxious, let your prayers, requests, supplications be made known unto God. And he will give you the peace of God through Christ to keep your heart. The third lesson is that Christ prays with the Psalms. As he prays, he takes Psalm 31, 5 in his lips and he prays the Psalm. The Psalter is your best friend in prayer. John Calvin. I have been accustomed to call this book... I think not inappropriately an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion which anyone can be un- that can be conscious that is not here represented, as in a mirror, or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life of the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. In short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. In short, calling upon God is one of the principal means of securing our safety and is a better, more unerring rule for guiding us in this exercise cannot be found elsewhere than in the Psalms. So when you are praying, use the Psalms as a basis of your prayers. Read them, think on them, and pray them to God. Third lesson of Christ's faith. Faith under the wrath of God. It's easy to exercise faith when there's peace and rest in your soul, when there's assurance in your soul and you know God's smiling face. It's a different ball game when you are restless in your soul, you're lacking assurance in your soul, And you're under God's displeasure. When Christ prays this prayer of faith, it's in the midst of great wrath and abandonment. Look at verses uh, 44 to 45. It was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands. Emotions affect our faith. If we're sorrowful, fearful, depressed, it can cause our faith to fail and faint. Unbelief arises. We struggle to trust in God. I know that by experience, and brother and sister, I'm sure you know that by experience. But when Christ's emotions were filling him, when he was under God's wrath, he still trusted in him. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. My soul is shaken. My soul is agitated. My soul is troubled because I'm about to suffer for sin under God's wrath. Should I pray, God, no, let me not die like this. But for this cause I came, Father, glorify thy name. See that? When his soul was troubled, he says, no, I have faith in God. Glory to you alone I will experience this hour Then the garden think of the words of Gethsemane he began to be sorrowful and very heavy my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death he began to be so amazed that means stricken with terror being in an agony he sweat as it were great drops of blood How often our faith sinks but see his faith swim because he takes the cup and suffers the wrath. And then verse 44 to 45, is under darkness. This darkness is the wrath of God. This darkness is the day of the Lord in the soul of the Lord. Zephaniah 1.15, that day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble, distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. That's what Christ experienced in his soul. And did he give up faith? No. His cry is not, O oh God, O oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? His cry is a cry of faith. My God, my God, why art thou forsaking me? Jesus is the greater than Job. Job thirteen fifteen. though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And through this faith, he saves us and gives us an example. Brother and sister in Jesus Christ, there's going to be times in your life when assurance has been lost. Doubts and fears and troubles and agitations are going to come to your soul. Your flesh wants to scream out unbelief, unbelief. The devil wants to tempt you. Unbelief, unbelief. Go to Christ and learn from him. Though he slay me, yet I trust in him. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, even though I'm feeling like this, even though I'm struggling like this, I'm going to exercise faith in an unseen God. And if I ever am under the chastening hand of God, I am not going to despair because he loves, he loves him whom he he chastens, so learn from Christ and in your soul struggles, trust in him fourthly and lastly christ's faith in death, Father, the object of the desire and in prayer, into thy hands the hands are the place of safekeeping in john ten twenty eight it says No one is able to pluck his people out of God's hands. I commend. Commend means to safely deposit for protection and safe keeping. My spirit. Spirit is the life principle of man. And as death is separation of body and soul, he is saying, I put my life in your hands. Christ has faith in two ways here. First of all, faith in death. He knows he's about to die, he knows death is the separation of body and soul. He knows his body will be buried, but what about his soul? Father, I entrust you for the safekeeping of my soul. And he did this because he believed the Bible. He knows in Psalm 73, God will receive us in glory. He says in verse 43. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Wonderful. But it's also a faith in resurrection. The prayer is not merely to look after his soul, but look after him, body and soul. The spirit is the life principle of man. What does Psalm 16 promise the Messiah? Psalm 16 promises the Messiah, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. That's not hell, that's the grave neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption, the body corrupted. Thou shalt show me the path of life, resurrection. In thy presence is the fullness of joy, ascension. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. And what moved him to have this? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the offer and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy That was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame and then was right hand of God. This means brother and sister in Jesus Christ, he is acting as a representative here. Metaphorically speaking, as he entrusts his own body and soul, life to God, he's doing on our behalf and he is giving into God the Father's hands, Our body and soul. This means we need not fear death. If any brother or sister in Jesus Christ faces death, we have assurance that God the Father will keep our soul and will raise us from the dead. What did Stephen say when he was martyred? Lord Jesus. Receive my spirit. Confident. Christians are the only one who are confident in death. If you ask a Muslim, when you die, will you go to paradise? I don't know. Because it's based upon works. Have I done enough? You ask a Jew, are you going to paradise? I don't know. Because I don't know if I've done enough. If you ask a Roman Catholic... If you die, will you go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know if I've done enough. But you ask a Christian, where are you going? Heaven. Because Christ has done enough. And therefore on my deathbed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. You will keep my soul. For me to live, but to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, looking unto Jesus, whose blessed appearance shall come, and we will be raised from the dead. I go away to my Father's mansions to prepare a place for you, but when I come back, I will receive you to myself, and we will be in the Father's mansions forever. And this is our example. We do not need to fear death because Christ commended his spirit to God. All of our souls are protected by God the Father for Christ's sake. This is wonderful. This is faith. With all the unseen future things to come because of what Christ has done, he is our example and we are confident And assured, we will be with the Lord forever. So, brother and sister, do you have faith in Christ? Do you want to grow in your faith in Christ? Look unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let us pray. Lord our God, Faith is a gift of God. Thy Spirit gave us this faith. And we know that in this world it shall remain imperfect. But we do not have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ, whose whole life was perfect, including his faith. Father, by thy Spirit, help us to learn, grow, and imitate his faith. Help us to trust in the word. Help us to pray. Help us under all the perplexities and troubles of life to trust in thee. And O Lord, help us to know even in death we can be confident of being with the Lord forever. Lord, increase our faith. Amen.